Reckless love, Jesus. But I pray that that would be impactful to us, God. That if we know that there's a God out there who will climb any mountain, knock down any lie, just to come and love us, Lord, that that would want us to love you back more. Jesus, you loved us first so that we can love you and know how to love you. Thank you so much, God, for your sacrificial love. We're not deserving of it. And I pray for the rest of this day as it goes on, as Blair comes up and speaks, that you would be in his speech. Lord, be in this room, Holy Spirit move. Thank you, Jesus, we love you. May we pray, amen. You guys may have a seat. Luke 14, 11 through 32. And he said, a young man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, 
and he sent him in the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, and he felt compassion for him, and he ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and now he's found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring about what these things might be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him home safe and sound. But he became angry, and he was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected any command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes home, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you kill the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. And he said to him, Son, let us celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead, and he has begun to live. He was lost, and now he's found. I could tell I'll just say this is I wish you farewell 
sitting on the edge of a new year. Uh, Tracy, Tracy just uh, read a section of scripture, and they just played a song that could have easily been uh, sung by the father in that story. And if I were to ask you, having kind of put all of this together already this morning, what you think we're going to talk about or who you think we're going to talk about, I think um, if I were a betting man, and I'm not, um, I'm too cheap to do that, but if I were a betting man... I would think that most of you would conclude that we were going to talk about the youngest son, like the, the lost prodigal. And there's a lot of reasons that uh, we would think that. Uh, for one, the section of scripture that Tracy read, the primary, the primary push for that is to talk about how God cares for the lost. And so, so that's there, and you, you kind of can't ignore it. It's, um, it's 
easy to see. But there, but there's some other things that are going on too. And and what we find is that uh, this parable, if if I were writing it, um, the, the header. See, sometimes uh, we come to conclusions because of what's already in the scriptures. If you go to your Bible, like I go to mine, right at the top of verse 11, it says the parable of the lost son. And it already tells you what you're supposed to be thinking as you read that section of scripture. It's why it's, I have this odd habit. I don't make notes in my Bible. I don't underline things because what I found is that when I go back through that section of scripture, I think I already know what it's about. And instead of listening for God to say, hey, I want you to see this this time. I want, you to, I want you to catch this idea this time. I just stay in the same vein. Well, I think this is what's happened with this story. Because if I were given a title for this, I would scrub this one right here at the top, and I would, I would write this in instead. Maybe just an alternate, because this, the one that's there is good. But, but maybe I'd write this. The prodigal of the lost sons. See, um, you know, maybe you think, ah, yeah, I see that. At the end of the story, the older son was having some problems, but I, I would say, no, wait, wait, wait. Because we aren't from their culture, and we don't understand sometimes how things are supposed to work or what things are going down in the section of scriptures when we read it, we can miss some stuff. And Jesus' listeners would have known right from the top the top of this story, that there was something wrong with the older son and the younger son right at the same time. And they would have said, oh, this is a problem. Now, now we don't see that uh, because, again, we have different filters and we kind of see it at the end of the story. But I, I think sometimes uh, we read these stories through the, the lens of our culture. I do a lot of reading when I get ready for this stuff. And one of the things that I read, I, I found a blogger who was blogging about this section of scripture. He's a Christian guy. And he was lamenting about how the father um, had mistreated the older son. And that the older son was so disrespected, had not been treated well, so that he was angry about what was happening. And he kind of laid it on the fault of the father. And I read that and I was like, I understand, I understand how you came to that conclusion. By, because you read it from our understanding of some things, but you missed part of the story. See, Jesus was telling a parable. It was, um, maybe the best way to say this, it was fake news with a purpose. It was all made up, every bit of it. And he was making it up because he was telling something that he was hoping would stick with people for a while. Like it would follow them. And as they churned it over, they would find different layers, because there's, there's a primary truth he was going for. You can't, you can't get past that. This is the third parable in a series of parables about um, finding something that's lost. Why were there three in a row? I don't know. There's, there's some Jewish tradition where um, a witness was made solid with three, and so maybe that's why he told it three in a row. He wanted them to understand, no, this is a real thing. God really cares about the lost, and so you can't get past that. But the good parables, and this one's a great one. The good parables would have layers. So as you mull it, you'd find something else in there that would cause you to think and wonder, whoa, or maybe even find yourself in the story. 
And, and so that's what Jesus is doing, is he's painting a picture that has layers to it that draw people in to think, and he's got them right where he wants them. One of the layers that we want to look at is the choices that these guys were making with their lives. What, what showed up in the hearts of these people that Jesus wanted to put on display? Because, um, because they were making choices that were from the heart, I think it's a good time for us to have this discussion because um, we're sitting on the brink of a new year and there's a practice that happens at this time of year that's pretty, I love it. I think it's awesome. People make resolutions. Now, they, now generally they hate them because they also know they keep them for about two weeks and don't follow through. But the practice of taking into account what's going on in your life and setting some goals, man, I think that's wise. I think one of the reasons we don't change sometimes is we don't have a goal that's in mind. We just know something's wrong, but we don't set a goal. But this time of year, it goes on, right? You get on a scale, and you go, I got to do something about that, right? Or you think of the Last two weeks of all the food that you've eaten, and you think, i got to do something about that. I can't keep doing what I'm doing. Or maybe you look ahead for the year, and you want to do something different in a job. Maybe you want to set a goal in that job, or you want a different job, or you've got educational goals, or maybe you have a relational goal where you've looked and said, you know what? This isn't going the way I want it to go. I want this to be different. And so a goal gets set. Um, my question for you this morning is just this simple. Have you considered setting a spiritual goal for your next year? Where, where you kind of assess where you're at right now with God, and then you decide, hey, I, I think I'd like to be here instead. And I'm, so I'm going to set a goal to get there. I'm, I'm going to push to go in this direction now, this morning, what I want to do is I, I want to expose you to the choices of the people in this story, and maybe um, you'll find yourself in one of their stories, maybe you won't, but, but I'm hoping as you think about this, that this other layer of the life choices that were being made by these guys will help you as you figure out, is this something I want to do? Do I, do I want to set? a spiritual goal for the new year. And we'll talk about that as we get to the end. Uh, my glasses are broke, so this is going to be awkward. It's all going to be fine, though, all right? So I'm going to have to take them on and off a lot because they're just going to fall off randomly. Um, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus starts off, and it's tame. The guy has two sons. Pretty sweet. And then he goes nuclear. I mean, the, the thing that happens next would have horrified everybody listening. The younger son comes and says this, Father, this is in verse 12, give me my share of the estate. Now, this is unheard of. Uh, one, the father's alive. Now, I can tell you from historical documents that there are several recorded instances where... Um, Inheritance was given early. Every one of those recorded instances has two things in common. One, the father initiated the giving of that early inheritance. And two, 
he stayed in control of the estate with veto power. Basically, you're not going to sell the house I'm living in while I'm here. You're not going to sell off that land if I don't want you to sell off that land. Yes, it's yours. I've given it to you, but I still retain veto power. What's not ever found, ever, is the younger son coming and asking for his inheritance early. If, if it would have happened, it would have happened with the older son. It would have come through the older son. See, the older son would have gotten two shares for every share of his every other brother. So because there's two of them, the older son gets two-thirds of the estate, the younger son gets a third of the estate. And um, he just didn't win the lottery by getting born early. He actually has responsibilities that he has as the firstborn. And one of those responsibilities was he was supposed to be the mediator between any other, other siblings and the father. And he would go back and forth and keep things from going nuclear, what we just saw here. You would never see that happen because the older son would take his responsibility of not allowing the family to be embarrassed or ashamed. And he would find a way to negotiate whatever was going on. He would help the younger son come to his senses. But not in our story. In our story, the younger son brings that. Why? <laughs> because the older son is quiet. And everybody would have known something was wrong. Why? Did this older son not protect the family? Why did this older son not protect the community? Remember, these, these are community thinkers. You didn't do something that was good for you. You did something that was good for us. That's, what, that's how you thought. And so when this younger guy, and, and it's kind of deceptive. Most scholars believe he's at 30 years old. That's when he would have been actually able to leave home and do something like this. So he's 30 years old and wanting to go out on his own. And so he comes and he says, I want all of this. And you know what? You want to know what the people in the crowd were thinking as soon as they heard his request? I can tell you. Their, their minds would have gone to a section of scripture in Deuteronomy chapter 21. And in verse 18, it says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother, it goes on, um, it says, hey, bring him to the elders. And then this is what you're supposed to say in verse 20. This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He'll not obey us. And then in verse 21, then all the men of the town are to stone him to death. Make no mistake. What the younger son just did is a stonable offense. It's rebellious. It insults the father. You know what he just said? He just basically came to the father and said, I wish you were dead. And that would have been an insult, not only for the family, but the whole community would have reeled from that. They would have wanted a pound of flesh. And so what happens next would have been shocking but before we, before we get to that, I want, uh, actually, no, it is what happens next. Yeah, the second part of verse 12, I want you to see this. So he divides his property between them. First off, he, he gives the stuff to the younger son. That kid should have been stoned. Are you kidding? 
What is this father doing? He's out of his mind. But he acts with love, grace, and kindness. And at the same time, he gives the estate to his oldest son, too. Both of them get their shares. You do not find the oldest son saying, no, I'll wait. I'll wait until it's a proper time. You understand something's wrong with the older son, too. I mean, he, he looks good. He's staying around. And he didn't start anything, but he's sure not doing his responsibility. And he's willing to line up and take his fair share of everything as well. So, so people are reeling from this. And you're starting to see the hearts of these um, people revealed in the story. And it goes on. Goes off, the young son goes off, squanders everything, ends up in a pig pen. Light goes off in his head. The scriptures actually say he comes to his senses. He suddenly realizes, oh my word, my father's servants are treated better than I'm being treated, which is fascinating because we're going to get to something that looks a lot different than that later in the story. And he decides to turn himself towards his father and start walking. Um, I'm going to go home. And then something's recorded that's really odd in the scriptures. In verse 20, it says that his father ran to his son. Why would he do that? Well, the scriptures say he had compassion for him, so there, um, there's one level right there. He loved him, so why wouldn't he go and do that? But I, I think there's a couple other reasons you ought to consider too, and maybe it's all. Maybe it's all of those. Um, when you have to go and humble yourself before somebody, you have to apologize. Have you ever started that journey and then thought, no, nah, I'm not going to do it, and just backed out of it? What, what, if, what if he saw his son and he realized he's making a hard choice to return I don't want him to get afraid and not do this. I'm going to get to him before he can change his mind. I think that could have been part of it. But I think another part of it was this. What happens if this younger son of mine makes it to the community before I get to him? Because they know what they would do with him. He's going to come back begging now? You, you embarrassed all of us by leaving in the first place? You, you took all of your money and went, by the way, to get his share, his dad would have given him land and animals. He would have had to quick sale them, so he probably sold them at a, at a um, deep discount as well. So he's, I mean, he's embarrassing his father left and right. And that community could have easily killed him if he reached it. But the father wanted to show an example of what it would look like to, re, to receive this returning son. And so he makes it to him. And he kisses him, and he welcomes him, and it would have been shocking for the community that he was in to see, it would have been shocking for the people listening to hear that that's the response that this dad had towards this kid. This kid should pay. This kid embarrassed all of us, and you're doing this instead? Why? Because the heart of the father is consistently revealed throughout this story. The heart of the Father is a heart of compassion, of love, of kindness, of grace. 
and it keeps repeating over and over. You see this gracious father who steps in and does what's right all the time. It's a beautiful picture. But we're also starting to see the heart of the son. Initially, we see a heart of rebellion, right? I'm going to do my own thing. I think the culture offers me more than you do, Dad. I think I'll be better off if I go off on my own. I think they have a better way of living than you had. And I'm going to pursue that. And so this hard rebellion goes out. And on the way home, it's a heart of repentance where he concludes, I'd be better off as a servant in his house. I don't see myself as being part of the family, but if I could just be close to that gracious, kindness, loving, that, if I could just get close to that, the spillover of that onto his servants alone is better than I deserve. But maybe I could have that. And you see a heart of repentance kind of unfolding here. Well, it turns out we get to see a little bit of the heart of the older son here too, because in verse 28, he hears the celebration and the scriptures record that he's angry. Listen, if anybody should have been angry, it was dad. His son had come to him and said, I, I wish you were dead. Give me my stuff. Sells it at a discount. Leaves and squanders it all. If anybody should be angry, it's dad. But it's not. It's older brother. Older brother is angry. Refuses to celebrate what's going on. And here's what's fascinating. Father goes out, tries to convince him to come in. And here's the words. Look, all these years, I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Well, there's a couple big things in here. Uh, I, I heard when Tracy was reading that she read, I've, I've been serving you all of these years. That's actually not what he says. He actually uses a stronger word here that's slaving, which was fascinating to me. Um, the younger son's understanding of this is, man, my servants have it good. My father's servants have it good, right? If I could just be one of those, I'd be, I'd be great. The, the older son, who's not even a servant, he's, he's higher. He owns the rest of the estate. It's all his. And he views himself as a slave. Why? Because father still has veto power over the big decisions. And you know what he says? He says, listen, I've done everything that you've told me to do. But if you haven't told me to do it, I haven't done a thing. Because he had a responsibility as an older brother at the top of this story. But he wasn't commanded to go and fulfill that responsibility, so he didn't do it. And his heart was full of bitterness and anger towards his father who was there with him this whole time. In fact, the father makes that point, finishes it in verse 29. He says, Yet you never, um, this, is the, this is the kid, you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And the father had to be mystified and looked at him and said, You own the goat, right? 
that everything that's left is yours. What's the problem here? You want to know the problem here? The heart of the older son was so far away from his father that all he saw was duty and obligation. And he would do his duty. He would fulfill his obligation. But that's all he would give. And there was no sense of relationship that he had with his father, even though they lived in the same home. He was just as lost. You want to know what's fascinating? Jesus is telling this story to a group of Jewish people. Are most of them going to identify with the youngest son? No. They, they hate that kid. That, 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 the person in that story, and that's, it's beautiful because Jesus is making the point, right? What I really care about is the lost. But what they would have identified with is that older brother who did his duty because they went to the synagogue. They paid their temple taxes. They followed the rules that the Pharisees said they had to follow. They did all of this stuff, and their hearts were far from God, so far that when God says, you know what's really important to me is when the lost returns, the only emotions that they would have experienced would have been anger and bitterness that that kid didn't get it paid the way he should have been paid. He should have been hurt, should have been harmed for what he did to us. And therein lies the heart of the older son who cared more about just following orders, seeing himself as a slave and holding on until something would finally be his to possess. Now here's the thing. When you start considering the different people in the story, maybe you start to find yourself. I imagine that there are some people in this room that if you, if you gave God some time with you, like you sat down and you said, I want to evaluate where I'm at right now as I'm heading into a new year. God would tap on some of your hearts and say, listen, this area, you know you're in rebellion. I, like, I've asked, I've asked for something else from you. And you've decided to do it your way, no matter what. It's causing you harm, it's causing others harm, and I want you to pay attention to this, and I want you to change your heart on this. Some others of you, you would say, listen, I, that was me, and, and I've been returning to God, and the, the return back has been difficult. It's been hard to humble myself. It's been hard to get back into the kind of direction that I need to go in, where I need to connect up with other followers of Jesus, where I need to find myself in the scriptures, where I need to do some stuff that causes me to walk towards God. And I haven't felt his embrace yet. Like, I'm headed there. I'm headed home, but I'm not there yet. And maybe God would speak to your heart and say, listen, that repentance that's going on in your life, I, I want you to stick to it. I want you to keep leaning into that. I want you to come home. I know it's hard. I know it's hard work. I don't want you to give up. 
And the reality is, my arm is around you. I've run to you. I'm here. I want you to keep walking, moving towards me. I wonder, I wonder if others of us would come to the realization that we're a little like the older brother. It's just our faith has become a little bit about duty and obligation. If, if we were telling the truth, we've hit cruise control at some point in the past and we stopped thinking about it. We have certain habits that we do. But if you were to ask the question, is my heart fully engaged with God's? You might come up with a difficult answer. And it may be that the goal that you would consider setting is something that reawakens your heart to fall in love with a God who loves you and is with you right now. He's there. You, you could have a different kind of life. But instead, sometimes we see ourselves as slaves. I'm, I'm doing what you say, God, but I'm not seeing the results yet. I'm not getting the expectations that I want yet. And over time, what happens in our hearts is we become angry and bitter toward God that he's not doing what we think he should do to meet the needs that we see that we have. And it starts to wear down our ability to have a sense of love for that God, a sense of passion for him, and we go on cruise control. Now, the truth is, Maybe you didn't identify with the younger son. Maybe you didn't identify with the older son. Maybe that's not you. You're like, man, my life's pretty good right now. And I would say, listen, the person you get to identify with, this is pretty sweet, is the father. Right? The father sets a consistent way of living. That every time it's love, every time it's grace, every time it's compassion, every time. And I would offer this to you. Is there something in your life that's not as consistent as you'd like it to be? Maybe for you, that becomes your goal. That becomes this, the thing that you get to pursue and you get to dig into because you want to represent God in your world in a way that's consistent and true and honoring. And you got this one thing that just, it just keeps nagging at you. I, I decided... Um, I decided I wanted to talk about this layer of stuff at this time of year uh, because in years past, I've, I've made it a habit uh, to set spiritual goals. I found them to be very helpful, but in the last few, I haven't. And, um, and when I finally sat down and started thinking about some things and started looking at what was happening in my own heart, in my own life, I realized I had some older son issues going on where... I'm not immune from hitting the cruise control button either. I'm, I'm a guy just like you. But I want more than that. And I'm hoping you do too. And so I, I come back to the same question. Have you considered setting a spiritual goal for your next year? Something that you'll put in front of you that you can focus on and say, I really want to honor God in this area of my life. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to return 
I'm going to get back to a heart of love. I'm going to address this character issue or this attitude that I have because I know the Father loves me and I want to respond well to that love. If you were going to do it, what goal would you set? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to just give you a, a moment of silence to process. And then I'm going to pray and the band will lead us in a closing song. What's fascinating about this parable that you told Jesus is it didn't seem to matter what decision each of the sons was making that your response was love and grace and kindness. And you hold that to each one of these people in the room right now. You passionately love them. You want the best for their lives. So God, I ask as they are honest about where they're at right now, what's going on in their heart, how they're responding to you, that there be an honest and open conversation with a God who loves them and they would have the courage to set a goal, to put something in front of them on a consistent basis for the next year that could help them pursue you. God, we'll do it for all kinds of stuff. We do it for food. We do it for... I ask that you would give us the... God, will you give us the burden to do it with something that's more important? Not out of guilt, not because we feel bad, but because you love us and we're just trying to respond to that love. I ask that your spirit would move and that as people process this as they go about today and the next week, that you would bring about some goals that would honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.
was your foe, still your love for me. You have been so, so good to me. And I felt no
sitting here contemplating things that we need to change in our lives, God. We're contemplating how you're speaking to us, Jesus. I pray that you would be very vocal. Make us confident of where you want us to go, Jesus. Where you're challenging us to move in our relationship with you. joke of our New Year's resolutions a lot of time, Lord, that we do hold on to something dear, Lord, that we, that we take a stand this year to say that there's something that's going to change. We're going to grow deeper with you, Father. We're going to love someone better. Let it be in our heart, God, to always be moving forward, never stagnant. 